Guys, grab your Bibles now and open them to John 13, and let's continue our study of this Paschal Discourse of uh, Jesus Christ. We're in John 13 at verse 36. I'll read to you all the way through chapter 14, verse 3, so you follow as I read. We believe, guys, that this is a book that is inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired. We believe this is the very mind of God as black words on a white page. So what I'm reading to you is something that we, we, try, to, we try to conform our lives to what we're, what we're studying this morning. That's why we're here. It reads like this. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this, ladies and gentlemen, endures forever. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Boy, are those, are, are those not beautiful words? Oh, that I could only appropriate them. But very frankly, Dr. Young, at this uh, point in my life, those words are nothing but words to me. Beautiful prose. Actually, I, um, when it comes to my troubles, I, I prefer Xanax. Um, and besides, what do these guys know about trouble? <laughs> I mean, my gosh. They didn't have a mortgage. They didn't have kids on drugs. They weren't living in a marriage that was disintegrating. They, um, they have no experience with a high-pressure job like mine uh, where in, a, in an economy that's so unpredictable. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't have any of that. But let me tell you what they did have. They've been following a man for three years whom they had grown to love who has just told them he's leaving. They don't know where he's going, and they don't know how he's going to get there. Oh, he had told them a couple of times about, you know, dying and all that business, but they're still foggy about it. I mean, they still don't understand what's about to happen. All they know is that the guy that they love and the guy that they followed for three years is about to leave them. Not only that, they were told just a few minutes earlier that there's, that there's, a, there's a traitor in their midst. One of them is going to betray him. They don't know who. John does. There's a few hints that point towards Judas. 
But ultimately, they're in a fog about who, what, me, am I the one? I mean, it's deeply troubling that within their small little band, apostolic band, there's a traitor in there. And then now they've just been told that Peter, you know, kind of the, the unofficial spokesman of the group, kind of the, uh, the type A, the, uh, the alpha dog of the pack, that uh, Peter is going to deny him. Oh, gosh. And then I can't help but believe that there's a certain measure of shame um, that they're experiencing because when it came to that foot-washing thing just earlier in the chapter, that they all refused to do it. They were all unwilling to wash anybody else's feet. So, um, in essence, they forced Jesus to do it. All I'm saying is this, ladies and gentlemen. No, they, they don't have a mortgage. They don't have a disintegrating marriage. What they do have, they have things on their list that are just as deeply troubling to them as the things that are on our list are deeply troubling to us. They and we, um, from time to time, feel like we're being chased by a by Hawaiian lava flow. And the lava flow is gaining. And so, Jesus, knowing how troubled they were and how, how troubled we are, or, or from time to time are, and perhaps even now are troubled, knowing how troubled they are or were and how troubled we might become, he offers us in this text a prescription a prescription for our troubled hearts. May I say just quickly, I am not going to try to minimize your pain. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying that we're going to live life, if we do this, we're going to live life without ever crying again. I am saying that because we are broken and living in a broken world, there are troubles that we have. And Jesus offers us a way to cope without the Xanax. And it's here. Here's what I want to do. I want to I summarize what he says under three headings out of the text in terms of a prescription for a troubled heart. And then I want to add three things that don't come out of this text, um, but are elsewhere to be added to this prescription. Are you ready? All right, first of all, take a look at your text, guys. It says, um, uh, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says, believe. So the first component part, the first ingredient in this prescription for a troubled heart has to do with believing. You notice it says, you believe on God, believe also in me. Now, gang, for those of you for whom this kind of stuff is interesting, the, the, the construction of the Greek grammar in, in that little state, in that little clause right there, can be translated in one of two ways. It can be translated imperatively or indicatively. What does that mean? Well, it means this. What you've got here is this. The first half of that statement is this. You believe in God. That's a statement of fact. That's an indicative statement. 
After the comma, the second half, he says, believe also in me. That's an imperative. So the first thing that he's telling us in terms of dealing with our own troubled hearts is, you believe in God, believe also in me. That's the first ingredient, ladies and gentlemen. And, and, and I want you to notice what he's doing. He is putting himself on the same footing with God. It is an indirect claim to deity that you find there. You believe in God, well, believe in me too. Um, and, and, and guys, you've got you've to get this. He's not calling them to some kind of amorphous, um, dreamlike belief in something. He says, believe in me. Because the object of what you believe in is a whole lot more important than believing. I don't know that I should do this, but um, and I'm not going to, don't, don't raise your hands, but how many of you take the morning paper? You know, about half of you maybe. The other half are, you know, on a telephone someplace. But uh, I take the paper. <clears throat> I take the morning paper. Enjoy the morning paper. Um, in the morning, those of you who take the morning paper, do you read the cartoon section? I do, which I guess I've now told you what a simpleton I really am. Um, in that cartoon section, do you read Beetle Bailey? I do. Well, in Beetle Bailey, about every 90 days, they have the same comic strip, basically the same theme in the comic strip. Uh, the, the two authors who are two brothers by the name of Walker, I think, um, here's, here's the comic strip. Sarge has fallen off the cliff and he's holding on to a tree branch that is sticking outside of, of a mountain and Beetle, Beetle Bailey is up, not having fallen, and Sarge is issuing instructions to Beetle as to what must be done for him. Well, here's my point, guys. If that branch that Sarge is holding on to is rotten, it doesn't matter how firmly he holds on to it. Because you see, the issue is not his firm grasp. The issue is the object of what he's holding on to. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to believing, it's not about you just believing. It's about in what do you believe? Jesus says you believe in God, believe also in me. What is he calling you to believe in? Is he not calling you to believe in Bono, Steve Jobs? or He's, he's not calling you to believe in certain doctrines, although the doctrines help describe who he is. He's calling you to believe upon him. The first ingredient of addressing a troubled heart, according to this Jesus guy, right here in this text, let not your heart be troubled, believe. There it is. That's the first part. The first part of a prescription for a troubled heart. Here's the second ingredient, guys. He goes on. In my father's house are many mansions. You know what he's talking about there, don't you? He's asking us, as the second part of this prescription for a trouble, he's asking us to think on heaven. Guys, tell me, um, in the last week, how much have you thought about heaven? None? 
You know, um, one of the most effective ways, I think, to measure our worldliness is to simply ask, how much do I think of heaven? C.S. Lewis used to say that, that uh, prosperity has a way of knitting our hearts to the world. Ain't that the truth? Did you get that? Prosperity has a way of knitting our hearts to the world. It has, hasn't it? So, how much have I thought about heaven? None. And the result? A troubled heart. You know, I was in a conversation uh, just almost a week ago, and we were trying to estimate, we were trying to guess just how many people who attend Grace Evan are packing heat, carrying a gun, not professionally, just as kind of a level of security, you know? Well, guys, tell me that. Tell me this. Um, has that solved your troubled heart? That thing that you keep in the nightstand next to your bed, is that solved? Guys, I'm not a gun hater. I'm simply saying that that's not the thing that will untrouble your heart. Jesus recommends this and we go out and buy this. Guys, he, he says, he, he, he turns the mind, he turns the conversation towards, in my father's house there are many mansions. And then he tells us certain things about heaven. He tells us, first of all, it's a place. It's not a dream world. It's not a fantasy land. I go to prepare a place. It's called my father's house because it's lived out in my father's presence. Um, Now, he doesn't tell us how he's going to get there in this text, but we know to get there, he's got to go through a cross. And it's through his sufferings on the cross that the door of heaven gets opened to undeserving people like us. You know, he he, he goes on to say there there are plenty of rooms. Uh, there's plenty of rooms for every believer, and every one of those rooms are going to be filled. They're going to be occupied. My brother and sister in Christ, listen to me. One, part of the price that we have paid for our prosperity is that we have troubled hearts. You know that there are other parts of the world who don't have as much as us, and they don't have nearly the anxiety that we have. They don't have as much Xanax either. For many of us, the only time we ever think of heaven is when there's been a death in the family. I'm telling you, according to this little text right here, let not your heart be troubled, believe in me, in my Father's hand. There's, there's the, two, the first two prescriptions. First, believe in me. Second, think on heaven. <clears throat> you know... Um, Jesus recommends this, and then we go out and buy a gun. Those are two different solutions. Again, I'm not against guns. I'm just telling you, they won't untrouble your heart. Here's the third thing that he says. He says it in verse 3. He says, um, and I will come again. The third part of the prescription is, I will come again. I'm not going to send an angel. I'm going to come myself. And when I do, I'm going to receive you and keep you. I'm going to take you to be with me forever. Now, my friend, 
Do you long for that? Um, you know, I think we spend more time discussing how it is that he's going to come than the fact that he is going to come. I don't care how he comes. What's far more so important to me is that he is coming. Gang, if heaven has no hold on your heart, um, if, if living out eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ offers you no excitement, then I would say to you that you have every reason in the world to believe that you do not have a place there. Heaven is simply going to be, or in the main, lived out in the presence of Jesus Christ our Savior. And by the way, I want to point this out too about the text. He stakes, his, he stakes his character on this. He says, if this is not the truth, I would have not told you. So ladies and gentlemen, if what I'm saying to you is not true, if it's not a reality, if, it's not the, if it does not properly or rightly represent reality, then here's the, here's the application. Jesus Christ is a liar. So in terms of the text, here's the, here's the, here's the, the formula, the prescription. Believing in Jesus, thinking often on heaven, and, and counting on his return. Now, let me, ask, let me add three more things to that that I, got, I get elsewhere. Number one, in terms of the prescription for a troubled heart. Number one, you need to be reminded and reminded often. And you need to think through often. That your sin is forgiven. <laughs> you know, I come out here every now and then simply, simply to try and, and, and connect with you in a way. Because it's so vitally important. Listen to me. One of the sadnesses of what I hear that goes on in my office, repeated almost weekly, is somebody who did a very bad thing in their past. They did a very bad thing. They did a very bad thing in their past. And they're 15, 20, 25, 10, 40 years later, And they are still not over it. They deal with shame and guilt for years. I did that. And I'm so ashamed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's part of the trouble. That's part of the troubled heart living with that kind of shame and guilt for that long. I'm saying to you that one of the things that you need to be reminded of over and over again is that your sin is forgiven. Not just some of it. All of it. Yeah. Even
Fifthly, you need to be reminded that your soul is everlastingly and eternally safe. Nothing will snatch you out of his hand. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, because we don't have that sense of confidence that my soul is everlastingly safe, we whine, we weep, we wail over things that oftentimes are very small. You know, I I thought of this. Imagine that you were one of the passengers on the Titanic. And um, you were one of the fortunate ones who found a life, or got into a lifeboat. You were plucked out of the North Atlantic, taken over to uh, New York, and there you're sitting on um, terra firma of the New York Harbor. And you begin to weep and wail over the fact that you left your wristwatch on the boat. People would think you were crazy. You're whining and wailing over that, uh, that wristwatch when, when all those people were killed and you're sitting here? Are you some kind of insane human being? I'm telling you guys, we do that spiritually over and over and over again. We weep and wail because our portfolios went down. When your soul is everlastingly safe, nothing will separate you. No one will pluck you out of his hand. And we're sorry that my Mont Blanc pin got stolen from the gym. You see that, ladies and gentlemen? How, how foolish it is. How needless is some of the, the agony of our souls. Here's the, here's the sixth and last thing. Gang, somebody has got to remind you that the troubles that you are now enduring have not come upon you by chance. Listen. God sent them. And he sent them because he loves you. And he will not permit you to waste your life on that which is abject trivia. And so he sends us things because the Father understands my soul better than I understand it myself. Okay, guys, there it is. A prescription for a troubled heart. Starts with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then I think much of heaven, and I count on his return. And then I remind myself over and over again that my sin is forgiven, even some of those things that I don't want anybody in this room to know about. <clears throat> anybody got any of those? Hmm. Yeah, we do, don't we? I remind myself that all of my sin is forgiven. I remind myself that because of the finished work of Christ, I'm everlastingly, eternally safe. And lastly, that what I'm dealing with is something that God sent me to improve me and for his glory. That, ladies and gentlemen, 
is the prescription for the troubled heart. And I'm not in any way suggesting that your pains are minimal. Some of them are huge. But while you're wrestling around with them, you might want to go to those six little items and see if they might minimize the trouble. Now let me say four other quick things from this text that I think I didn't want to ignore because I think they're there and, and, and I think they're beneficial to listen to. But let me just, four quick applications or lessons, I guess. First of all, guys, if all of this is true that I'm, that I'm suggesting to you this morning, then here's what you need, here's what you must do. You must force feed yourself the scriptures. Oh, but I, you know, I don't, force feed yourself the scriptures because the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will take these words down to the places in your soul that only you and God can go. He will take these words and take them to the, to the base of the trouble where human words simply cannot get there. So you got to force feed yourself the scriptures. The second thing, one of the, one of the things that impacted me as I studied this text is that Jesus is only hours, let's say eight hours, nine hours perhaps, about nine hours away from the cross. He's about nine hours from somebody driving nails through the palms or the wrists of his hands or wherever they drove them. And his major concern is for the troubled hearts of his people. You know, guys, um, as for me in my house, for me, that is proof of his deity. That in and of itself is proof of his deity. Because I don't know anybody that selfish, uh, that unselfish. The only people I know are selfish slobs like me. And when the push comes to shove, and it's right here, the push is shoving. When the push comes to shove, we're all going to think about numero uno. Me, not him. He's thinking about our troubled hearts and giving us advice about our, you know, for me, that is enough proof. I don't need anything else in terms of who this guy is. He's got to be God to be that unselfish. Third thing. Guys, you see here in this text, Peter is up to his old tricks. Um... What do you mean I, I can't go with you? I mean, uh, I'll go and die for you. You will. Really? <laughs> How about that? Because in a matter of hours, you're going to deny me three times that you even knew me. And not only that, if you go back to the, the Matthew account, he curses. He uses curse words. You know, those bad words that Christians don't say, you know. Um, he curses him. Um, guys, Peter makes two mistakes. He overestimates his own strength and he underestimates the power of evil. Guys, we often think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty spiritual guy. I can handle this. You listen to me. We are all much weaker than we believe. Oh, we think Jesus is wrong about us. He's not. 
And I'm saying to you, my friends, if you overestimate your own spiritual strength and underestimate the power of evil, it will be ruinous to your soul. It's interesting in Jesus' reply to Peter, he in essence says, Peter, son, 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 you got it all wrong. It's not your life for me. It's my life for you. And then I'm going to tell this story one more time, and I'm not going to tell it anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I've already told it twice, and I'm going to tell it anymore, but I've got to tell it one more time. And uh, actually, I don't promise that because it's, it's such a, it, to me, it's, it was just so moving. It, was, it happened about a year ago. A young woman comes to my office. She'd just lost her mother. She called her mother her best friend. She talked to her every day. They were together most every day. And she was grieving over this tragic loss of her mother. And the, the explanation of her death is really still up for grabs. Nobody's really ever explained why this woman died. She, she by all accounts, should not have died. But she did. And this, her daughter was in my office grieving over the loss of her mother. And so I'm trying to tell her things. And you know where I took her? Hmm. I took her to John 14, 1 through 3, our text. And she sat forward in her chair and she said to me, Dr. Young, I mean with fire dancing in her eyes. And she said, Dr. Young, Jesus better be who he said he is. Yeah. Because if he isn't, ladies and gentlemen, you know what? You need to drink more. You need to go to more parties. You need to, you need to take more pills. Uh, you need to have more affairs. Because ultimately, when you die, you are nothing more than food for worms. And there is ultimately no meaning in this life. But if he is who he said he is, and all of this stuff that I've showed you in John 14, if all of that is true and all of that awaits us, then Let not your heart be troubled. Say it again, Jesus. Say it to me again. Say it to me this morning. Say it to me now. Let not your heart be troubled. Our Father, we love your word. We love the Jesus who is speaking it. We love the things that he said. We believe, help us in our unbelief. Help us come to the place where what we've just read and heard from the Lord Jesus 
becomes the, um, the thing on which we build our souls. Would you help us to come to the place where the way we're facing the brokenness in our own lives and the brokenness of the world is that we're facing it with these truths in mind. Would you, um, in the midst of our troubles, remind us of these things that we might cope and cope better and cope in a way, in such a way, that you get glory and that we are made more like the Savior that we love. Now, Father, for if you have brought people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ, if they're still not yet unredeemed, and they're out there fighting life with absolutely no ammunition, would you cause them to see that the real need of their soul is not for a bigger portfolio? It's um, their need is for a Savior. The Savior, the only Savior, the one that you provided. Christ in him crucified. Open their, the heart to see the need. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.